Hello, and this is Fiona Cuthbertson coming from the pod to record Off the Cuff, my exciting new podcast. Throughout this series, I'm going to interview a range of fabulous people, and I hope you'll continue to join me on this journey. A lot of these podcasts will be political, as that is the world in which I inhabit. But as I've been lucky enough to meet a range of talented non-political people too, I'm planning to bring them on as well. So to give a little bit of context regarding who I am and why I've taken to the airways, life, Shay Cuthbertson, has not always been the most regular, ever since I was unexpectedly elected onto the block of three for NUS Wells in my first year at university in Aberystwyth, because I only went to the conference in the first place because a girl called Daisy couldn't. So really, Daisy, this is all your fault. Anyway, since then I've worked in Parliament, was a local councillor in London, a parliamentary candidate in Preston and have been lobbyist for 12 years running Keystone Consulting, after finishing a stint outside politics, finding out all about market research and web hosting, during which I realised that politics still affected everything and it's down to all of us to understand the political world and have our say. So for several years I've had my say on everything from education to tax, in Parliament and on paper, having written a novel called Party Games, which is available to buy on Amazon, but now it's time for my first guest to have their say. Michael Winstanley, welcome to Off the Cuff. Thank you very much for having me along, and I'm really excited to be part of this first podcast. Brilliant. Excellent to have you here indeed. Michael has had a number of different roles in the Conservative Party, and is currently Vice President of the National Conservative Convention, meaning he's on the board of the Conservative Party, representing ordinary members. He's also been Acting Chairman for Northern Ireland Conservatives, was the first Conservative Mayor in Wigan for over 30 years, Group Leader on Wigan Council for 16 years in total, Northwest Regional Chairman, former Greater Manchester Area Chairman and a parliamentary candidate in four very different constituencies. These were Makerfield and Wigan, the traditional Labour strongholds, and Bolton Northeastern, Blackpool South, which are part of the Blue Wall. He's worked in the NHS since living school and is a trustee of the Mayor of Wigan's charity appeal. Outside politics sees him following rugby league and horse racing, as well as participating in a cheeky beer as a member of camera. So Michael, it's lovely to have you here. It would be great to hear, what have you been up to recently? Well, thanks Fiona for having me along. I have to say it's been quite a busy week. I was down in London to have a Conservative board meeting and also I've been doing some work for the Mayor of Wigan's Charity Appeal, as you referenced earlier on, so we're planning a couple of charity events. I have also managed to get in a couple of those cheeky beers that you mentioned as camera and I did pop along to Haydock Park at the weekend to have a little bit of time off from doing uh, my charity political and ordinary work as well. I've been very fortunate, Fiona, and that I've been able to do a vast array of things in the political world. I never dreamt that when I joined the Conservative Party in my hometown of Ashton in Makefield at the age of 17, that I'd ever be elected onto the council, never mind having the great honour of being Mayor of Wigan, and certainly not being on the board of the Conservative Party or standing for Parliament. Wow, yes. Well, as you say, you were the first Conservative Mayor of Wigan, and that was for 30 years, is that right? That is right, yes. So can you tell us how this came about and what went through your head at your mayor-making? In the run-up to um, becoming mayor, it was a rather unfortunate set of circumstances. The deputy mayor at the time, who was a real close friend and colleague of mine, Henry Cabman, had suffered a stroke in the two months leading up to May 2010, when he would have become mayor. So just after that general election campaign, in which I had stored as the Conservative candidate for Wigan, I was approached by the Labour leader of the council to see if I would step into that role, which I have to say was very flattered to have been offered, as it meant I would become the first citizen of my hometown. 
as I hadn't had the 12 months to prepare for it, the whole process was extremely new to me and I had to learn very quickly what was involved in that role. And to prepare my acceptance speech in such circumstances was quite difficult because I wanted not only to convey what I wanted to achieve in my mayoral year, but also give credit and pay tribute to what Henry had achieved in his role as councillor and deputy mayor. As a tribute to Henry, I nominated my mayoral charity to be Think Ahead, which is a local charity based in Wigan that looks after stroke survivors. And what events did you have for Think Ahead whilst you were mayor? Oh, we did a number of different charity events. One that sort of like stands out most was uh, abseiling down a hotel in, in Wigan and having the press there while well, they took the photograph as you're halfway down the abseil. On the other side of it, in terms of some of the civic events that uh, I attended, um, I actually was at Westminster Hall for when Pope Benedict uh, made his state visit to the United Kingdom, the first time that a Pope had been on a state visit. So to be in Westminster Hall, to listen to the Pope address both Houses of Parliament was a tremendous honour. Fantastic. And coming to the fact that obviously, you know, you have done charitable work as well as being a politician and everyone thinks that politicians are all um, just in it for themselves, what is a common myth about being a politician? I think the biggest common myth that we hear time and time again, and I hear this on the doorstep all the time, uh, even when I was canvassing in the local elections in, in May just gone, is that all politicians are in it for themselves. But over the years I've worked with politicians from across the political spectrum and I've certainly come to realise that that isn't the case. Obviously, some people do it for their own means, but the percentage of people, whether they be MPs, councillors or other elected people, genuinely want to do the best for their local community and the people that they serve. We might have political differences, but that doesn't mean that we're not actually out to do the right thing. Marvellous. So if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? I think in politics it's important that people work together and form alliances and sometimes you have to do that on your own side as well as bringing your political opponents together as well. And during my time as councillor I've had to work predominantly with uh, Labour councillors. That led to me being elected as chairman of the Audit Governance and Standards Committee of the Council which I wouldn't have been able to do if I hadn't have had to bring people together. And I just wanted to add as well, when I actually first became elected as a councillor in Wigan, I was the only Conservative, eight to 72 councillors. So you can see from an early perspective, I've had to really build some alliances and strong working relationships, even though I didn't politically agree with people. So in terms of the committee that I chaired, that is a really important committee from a council's perspective. And that looks at standards of behaviour in councillors and ensures that they're maintained and deals with any complaints made against councillors and there's been occasions where councillors behaviour has been extremely challenging and potentially disruptive and ensuring that due process was followed has certainly been a lesson for me in diplomacy and tact. Wow so on that what is the best compliment you think you've ever received? I suppose uh, going back to when I was at school and I was nominated to be a prefect on the principle that I knew my own mind and wouldn't be swayed against my principles and just thinking back to actually when I was at school and we was doing uh, what was O-level history then, it, this was in the run-up to the 1987 general election and we was having a debate in class and the teacher asked if there was a general election today and he was old enough to vote, hey would you vote? So he said Labour and then obviously a flurry of hands went up across uh, the classroom at the school in Ashton in Makerfield. Then he said Liberal or SDP Alliance, whatever, whatever they were called at that particular point in time, we had about 
four or five, six people. And then he said, what about Conservatives? And there was one hand that went up and that was my hand. And just because I was one on my own then didn't mean that I was gonna sort of like not put my hand up because I knew the way that the vote was going. And, uh, and I stuck to my guns then and I've stuck to my political guns ever since. Absolutely. Well, it's really important to obviously learn and develop over your career. And what do you think is the most important lesson that you've learned so far? I think the one thing that I have learned, and it's the one thing that I try and, and, and live my life by, is to treat others with how you want to be treated yourself. And that if you treat people with respect and bring them along with you, they will support you in return. It's the age-old story that you should be nice to all the people on the way up as you don't know who you're going to meet on the way down. And I think that's as important in politics as is in every aspect of uh, our lives as well. Indeed. Well, talking about your work on the board, you say that that's basically to represent the volunteers. There will be a range of different volunteers from every area that you have to work with. So how are you finding it? It's been a fascinating insight into the workings of the Conservative Party, but also getting to know national staff, members of Parliament and other volunteers across the entire Conservative Party. And these are ordinary people that dedicate the time and campaign for the Conservative Party up and down the country. You don't get any thanks, you don't get any recognition. Recognition. So to ensure that I'm one of their voices at the highest level of the party for me is really important. Obviously some of the things we're looking at at the moment is, is boundary changes. There's a lot of talk about those to ensure that the boundary changes are accompanied by changes at association level to ensure that we've got a campaigning organisation in every constituency and that we're ready for the general election that will have to be before January 2025. So there's a lot to do, exciting times ahead. I'm looking forward to it and I want to bring my enthusiasm to this, uh, which I, I believe I'm doing. Um, totally. Now, I was actually going to come to the fact that we are going to be heading into a general election soon. The Conservative Party has been in power for a long time now. You are behind in the polls at the moment. What do you feel the government needs to do to pull it back? I think it was always inevitable we was going to hit problems for the Covid pandemic, the war in Ukraine. So it's not unexpected that we're 13 years into an administration that we should be behind in the opinion polls. I think the main is that we need to get the economy back on track. The Prime Minister's got a firm plan as to how he wants to do that by cutting inflation and growing the economy. And I think we can, if we can do that, we can start to see that will have an impact on ordinary people's lives and pockets. But I think we need to go further than that as well. I think as a Conservative Party, we need to ensure that we return to a tax-cutting agenda and ensure that we're leaving ordinary working people and entrepreneurs with more money in their pocket. Because if we do that, it's been proven in the past that reducing taxes helps to stimulate growth, makes people better off. We've got to give people a reason to vote Conservative. I think we can win the next election. I think we will win the next election, but we do need to see progress on a number of key points. We have a first-past-the-post system. Do you think we're moving away from that, or do you think that we are going to remain with that system here in the UK? I think we will retain the first-past-the-post system. The first-past-the-post system gives us a lot of benefits. It does retain the link between a member and their electorate. We mustn't forget that in a PR system, that link can be lost. And I think that's really important for keeping people true and ensuring they've got proper accountability. We hear a lot of siren voices on the left that want a progressive democracy, which in essence just means that they want to lock any Conservatives out of 
any kind of power and, and any kind of say in anything. So I actually think that we've got a, a really good system. It might not be perfect, but it's delivered more often than not a clear result for the country. It ensures stability of government. It means that when those votes are counted on a Friday morning, we know what the government looks like, we know who our representatives are, and we know that when they go to see the king that they're going to form the government. I think there's a lot to be said for that system. Tamper with it our, our peril. We know that if we go down a PR avenue that this will just to lead to chaos and confusion and we've seen over the years it can lead to some pretty horrendous governments across Europe so we don't want to go down that route let's keep the system and let's deliver strong stable government. There's a lot of noise with 24-hour news you can't really get away from the fact that everybody needs news instantly all the time that means that some subjects can be done to death, others are obviously missed. What do you think that's not addressed at the moment and why should it be there? Yeah, I actually say I don't think the 24-hour news culture has done us any favours in this country actually because it means we constantly obsess about different things instead of concentrating on what the real issues are that that concern people's lives and what they want to see progress on. So I think a lot of things get trivialised. I actually think that we need to concentrate on issues that have a real impact on people's everyday lives. So things like education and health, which are often referenced by politicians given the impact that the pandemic had on both our children's educations and the health service, particularly the health service when it was responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, but also the knock-on effect that that's had on waiting lists, people accessing treatment and us now having to clear those backlogs. But I also think from an education perspective, we need a real focus on ensuring that those children whose education was so disruptive and not only missed out on traditional learning, but the social elements of growing up are addressed. And let's not forget that children only get one chance at childhood. And whilst they appreciate the idea that education should be lifelong and we're constantly learning, the sooner the building blocks are put in place, the better for the individuals involved. Indeed. And absence from education was exacerbated by COVID, especially for young people with SEN, who are already much less likely to have the education they need to build a happy and fulfilling life because they aren't given the support they need early enough. So what can we do? I think early intervention would mean that young people would receive the high quality support that they need. There's always been a watch and wait policy, but it's been increasingly proven that many conditions like autism show markers from six months. Therefore, it would make sense for all teachers to have training in SEND in order to ensure that missed milestones are noticed and intervention could be put in place much more quickly, thus giving children that help that they need at that early stage. Building on your point about making sure that there is intervention, obviously the COVID pandemic meant that many students have lost knowledge and skills impacting core competencies, with many now facing increased anxiety and issues with mental health. So how can we help ensure that students get the skills they need to progress with their lives and so that they can think positively about the future? So obviously over the last couple of years the government have committed to catch up funding which needs to be used effectively to identify those pupils and ensure that they catch up with their peers. Otherwise the gap will only widen when they leave primary school and move into secondary education. Finally Michael, what do you think the world will look like in five years time? Well, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because if you'd have asked us this question five years ago, no one could have predicted that we've gone through a pandemic, a war in Europe. But I do think it is going to be inevitably dominated by technology and artificial intelligence. 
we are at a real crossroads at the moment. And I know that the Prime Minister is committed to ensuring that the UK is at the forefront of this revolution and wants Britain to take a lead on this key technological advance. But we do need to make sure that the appropriate safeguards are put in place, that it makes life better and that actually we've got a better society that we can all live in benefiting from this new technology. Well, thank you very much, Michael. For me, it was fascinating to get an insight into how hard work, commitment can give you the opportunity to make a positive impact in your local community and public life. So thank you also to the listeners who hopefully have enjoyed the show as much as we've enjoyed making it. If you have any questions regarding the podcast today, please feel free to comment. If you think it's worth coming back, please like and subscribe. If you feel that you need something to tide you over to the next podcast, please buy my book, called Party Games on Amazon. And on that note, I'll see you next time. Hope you have a good week, one and all.